It's been a bit of a uh, reflective week for me. I'm not normally a pensive kind of person, but I, I've done a lot of thinking back this way. I, th- I suppose in part because we're at the end of the Gospel of Us series. So I've been thinking back over the course of the series and, and over the journey that we've had. And uh, that's been part of it. Part of it is that uh, last, the end of last week, last week, and I found out that a friend of mine is, is moving. I was at the Pearson Park on Niagara Street in St. Catharines on Saturday with my kids and... Uh, bumped into my friend Mustafa, uh, who is the imam at the Geneva Street Mosque in St. Catharines. And as we got chatting, Mustafa told me that he's moving, he's leaving. He's uh, heading, taking his family to Mississauga. He's taking a bigger mosque there, and it's attached to his school. It's a better opportunity for him, and he was going to be moving within the next couple days. And it's caused me this week to do a lot of thinking back and reflecting on my friendship over the last number of years with Mustafa. Um, Because Mustafa would be, for me, probably the primary relationship in this whole idea of love beyond belief, where I have been stretched and challenged to love someone who sees the world through a very different set of lenses uh, than I do. That's been the goal of this entire series. And in fact, all the way since um, September, I've been rooting my own understanding of this series in that verse in the Bible that says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And I just want to be really clear about what we mean by faith, because I think in this series, based on the feedback that we've been getting, um, we've spent so much time talking about some of the stuff that needs to change that we haven't spent a lot of time reaffirming the stuff that is never going to change. And so let me just say unequivocally what we mean by faith. We believe that the God of the Bible is a God of love who created the world to reflect his truth and beauty and his goodness. And in some ways the world does that very well, but in other ways the world is bent, it's warped, it's twisted, even even broken in its ability to reflect God and his beauty and his goodness and his truth uh, to humanity. It's been broken by forces that can only be called evil, sin, death, destruction, chaos. We believe that Jesus is God himself coming to earth in order to reconcile humanity and to reconcile all of creation to himself. That Jesus is what God looks like with skin on. You can look at Jesus and know a bit about what God is like. You can look at Jesus as a human being and know a bit about what human beings are meant to be like. That's what Jesus' life reveals. And then through his death and in his resurrection, Jesus defeated the power of evil. The fight is still being waged, but Jesus has won the decisive victory and he has set human history, the history of creation on a trajectory of being restored to the kind of world that God always dreamed this could be. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, unleashed the forgiving and transforming power of the Holy Spirit to change individual lives and to change communities and to change the world through those who put their faith in him. That's, a, just, that's what faith is. But faith is more than just believing that about Jesus. Faith is trusting in 
Jesus. Faith is trusting in Jesus to bring that forgiveness and change to you. Faith is trusting Jesus enough to follow in Jesus, in the Jesus way. Trusting that the Jesus way is the best way and the Jesus way is always, only, ever the way of love. And that's what we've been talking about this series, the heart attitudes of love as they manifest themselves in relationship with people who are wildly different than us. We talked about the hard attitude of, of hospitality. Literally, in Greek, the word means loving the stranger, being willing to open your home and your heart and your life to people who are wildly different than you. Not just loving people who are your friends and your family, people who are part of your tribe or people who are of your kind, but loving people who are strangers, loving people who are strange to you, who are different even in ways that make you uncomfortable. Hospitality, Mustafa's hospitality, is why we became friends. It was about two and a half years ago, in September of 2013, a 17-year-old Muslim girl was beat up by three girls from St. Catharines simply because she was wearing a headscarf. Mustafa had just arrived in the city, actually a couple months after that event, and in the wake of that decided that he wanted to reach out to the community of Niagara in a gesture of goodwill. So a couple of years ago, I opened my mailbox at home, as many of you did, 120,000 brochures they mailed out, and I found a brochure all explaining the basics of Islam, trying to demystify what is a Muslim all about. And I read the brochure, and on the back it said, if you're interested in interfaith dialogue, well, uh, email this address. And so I emailed the address, because I'm interested in talking about faith with anybody. And it was Mustafa who emailed me back and we went out for lunch. And it was that act of hospitality from Mustafa that said, I invite anyone who wants to talk about this, anyone who wants that, I invite them to sit at the table with me and we will enter into community together. And that's where our friendship began. We've talked about humility, about kind of soberly acknowledging that I don't know everything. (laughs) And the stuff that I do know, I'm not 100% right about, which means that I actually have the opportunity to learn something from pretty well everybody and anybody that I come across. Um, About a year ago, I posted on Facebook a blog post that I had read. It was called Five Things I've Learned by Having a Muslim Friend. And I read it, and it just sort of resonated with my experience of getting to know uh, Mustafa, that... um, My, in a sense, my perspective was being broadened. My horizons were being expanded by having somebody, a friend who viewed the world in a very different way uh, than I did. It's rooted in this belief that since Mustafa is created in the image of God as we all are, and since God is not very far from Mustafa, as the Bible says, God is not very far from any one of us, that God could use my friendship with Mustafa and Mustafa himself to draw me to Jesus to teach me, to reflect the goodness and truth and beauty of God into the world, because that's what the image of God means. We've talked in this series about peacemaking. In a sense, all peacemaking means is being willing to forgive somebody for having a different opinion than you. Um, 
I told Mustafa this story about a, a pastor I know in Hamilton, a guy named Dwayne, who was also friends with the imam that was around the corner from him. Dwayne said that he and this imam became friends. They read a, a civic function together, kind of standing at the back watching everything happen. And uh, during a lull in the action, they had been chatting the whole time. And Dwayne finally turned to the imam and he says, listen, society would want us to say that Basically, what you believe and what I believe is essentially the same. That if we can get past the superficial differences, beneath those differences is a great amount of similarity that binds us. And that this ought to be the beginning of tolerance between us. He says, except you and I both know that that's not true. That we believe in some ways radically different things. Dwayne said, to be perfectly frank, I believe you're going to hell and you believe I'm going to hell. So I think we should go out and get a cup of coffee and try and convert each other. (laughs) It's a marvelous story. And Mustafa busted a guy laughing. It's neither one of our personalities to approach the conversation in quite that way. but, But we both knew and acknowledged that we believed different things. And the whole point was the fact that we believed things differently was never going to become a determining factor in the way that we related to each other. We've talked in a series about mutuality. Um, this idea that uh, the, the power of unlikely friendships, that this idea that we need each other. We need diverse others in our lives that that God uses communities of diversity to help us become everything that he desires us to become, to help us grow into the fullness of him who is the head of the church, who is Christ, that we learn from each other. Um, I have a picture that Mustafa uh, took on Saturday from our time at the park together. It's the two of us standing together at the pavilion of Pearson Park, and I'm holding, what we're holding there is a copy of the Quran that Mustafa has spent the last 10 years of his life translating. When I got to the park, he saw me, and he ran over, and he said, uh, he said, I, hold on, he said, I've got a copy of the Quran for you. Just wait here, and he ran to his car, and he came back, and he said, do you have a pen? And I said, no. I said, just one second. I ran off to my car, and I went and got a pen, and I came back and he was already, he was talking to his family and I walked over and I said, excuse me. I said, are, are you Dr. Mustafa Katab who translated the clear Quran? Can I have your autograph? <laughs> and he took my book and he signed the inside and it says to Mike, a brother from a different mother. Anyway, he gave it back to me and he says to me, listen, he said, I'm working on a study copy of the Quran. And I'm going to need your help because there are places where what Christians believe and what Muslims believe are very different. And I'm going to need, as I write this thing, I'm going to need your help to help me understand why Christians believe what they believe. And he says, and then I will put you on the acknowledgments page as one of the people who helped make that translation of the Quran possible. Then people will ask for your autograph. But it was just this amazing moment of humility and mutuality on Mustafa's part to say, listen, I'm, I'm going to need you. These are, as we have thought and, and prayed about this series, these are the hard attitudes, some of them, that we see manifested in the person of Jesus as he walks 
through the Gospels. And the reason we're doing this series is because these aren't always the heart attitudes we see manifested in the church. Not just our church, but the church. As the church has lumbered its way through history. I don't, I don't think it would be a stretch to say that the church has not always exhibited hospitality to people um, who are different. Uh, we've had families uh, from the LGBT community who, have, who feel like they need to hide who they are or who have actually left our church because um, they're afraid if, that if it became obvious you know, who they really are, that this would not be a place that is safe for them, that this wouldn't be a place that is welcoming to them. They, they're left to wonder. Um, it saddens me to imagine that somebody would get the impression that they might not be welcome among us in this community that is just seeking to uh, learn about Jesus and learn what it means to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. Because who wasn't welcomed to Jesus? Um, we haven't always, as a church, the church, been humble uh, in what we believe. I mentioned before this article, the, the five things I've learned from having a, a Muslim friend. Um, when I posted that, I, I, what I'd said was, this is why I go out for lamb with my friend Mustafa. And the first person who commented underneath was a member of Southridge, and they just wrote, thank you. And the next person who commented was Mustafa, and he said the article was delicious with a smiley face. And the third person who commented was not a Southridger, but this is what they wrote. They wrote, I'm so deeply saddened by this. Why is it that so many Christians have forgotten that Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and any other religion that does not confess that Jesus is Lord God, the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, is a false religion? Somebody wrote on my wall that it saddened them that I learned something from somebody who believes differently than me. That doesn't feel like humility uh, to me. The church hasn't always been peacemaking in its orientation towards people who disagree. All you have to do is go to Facebook and find the page of any Christian, just because we're talking about the church, and really, anybody, I do it, you do it, we do it. We weaponize our opinions and use them as ways of attacking people who disagree with us about dumb stuff, about, I mean, it's not dumb stuff, but about vaccinations and breastfeeding in public and uh, politics and like candidates and like just stuff, just opinions. And, and, we, and we don't go out there to have a civil conversation. We go out there to attack people who believe differently than we do by, a, by posting stuff that belittles anyone who disagrees with us. Let's think about this idea of mutuality. And there are folks who have left our church uh, because they disagree with things that I've taught. And fair enough, right? If you have a belief that's important to you and and it's not connecting with you here, and that matters to you, and this becomes a place that isn't spiritually productive, then, I mean, I guess by all means, you have to go find a place where you can spiritually grow and thrive. And, and I, you know, I got no problem with that. When I, when I struggle is with, you know, people who, out of anger or frustration, refuse to talk to me about it. Right? I had a couple say to me, 
that they did not want to talk to me about our difference of opinion because they got the distinct impression that they weren't going to be able to change my mind. That to them, the whole reason that someone would sit down for a conversation is to prove that I'm 100% right and and you're 100% wrong. So that the person who's right can fix the person who's wrong. And I just believe that if we got together to have a conversation, we can engage with each other in a way that will probably broaden both of our horizons and lead both of us to a deeper understanding than either one of us could arrive at on our own. That's the whole point of mutuality. But we, the church, and we as a part of the church, and me as a leader in the church, we haven't lived these heart attitudes, which brings us to our fifth heart attitude that we're talking about this morning, which is the heart attitude of justice. Justice in the Bible is when people of power and privilege use their power and privilege to promote the well-being of people who don't. Right? All the way through the Bible, the biblical story, injustice is what happens when people who have power and privilege use that power and privilege to hurt people that don't. And justice is what happens when people use power and privilege to promote the well-being of people who don't. You can see it in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Um, it's called the, in the law of Moses. And, and the Israelites are being instructed to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, to obey him thoroughly and passionately serve him and so on. And that They are supposed to be passionate about what God is passionate about, to do what it is that God would do. And this is how Deuteronomy explains that. It says, for the Lord your God is God above God and lords above lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. In other words, God has power and privilege unrivaled in the entire universe. But this is what he does with it. It says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. The writer of Deuteronomy says, listen, this is what God is like. God is a God who has all the power, all the privilege in the world. And what God loves to do with his power and privilege is he loves to protect and defend the vulnerable and the weak. The passion of God's life is to take care of people who do not have the recourse to take care of themselves. And the writer of Deuteronomy says that what it means to love God with all of your heart is to follow in God's footsteps and to do what God would do. Because every time, and this is the point, every time we live out the opposite of one of these heart attitudes, we are living out of a spirit of injustice. When we are inhospitable to people, what we are saying is there is a segment of society that's considered normal. And I'm a part of that segment of society. And there's a segment of society that's considered abnormal. And you are a part of that segment of society. And I am going to use the privilege and power that I have from being normal to exclude you from the conversation. To make sure you don't have a place at the table. Whenever we live out a a spirit of arrogance instead of humility, what we're saying is there is a correct way to look at the universe, and it's my way. And there's an incorrect way to look at the universe, and it's your way. And I am going to use the power and privilege that comes with the normativity of my correct way of viewing the universe to um, exclude your opinion from the conversation. 
Whenever we live out of a spirit of antagonism instead of peacemaking, what we're saying is there's a right way to be in the universe and a wrong way to be in the universe, and I'm being the right way and you're being the wrong way, and I am going to use my power and privilege to attack you for being different than me. Whenever we don't live out a spirit of mutuality, what we're saying is there's a hierarchy to humanity. That some are higher and others are lower. And I'm a part of the higher and you're a part of the lower. So if we're going to live in relationship with each other, I may choose to fix you, but you have nothing to contribute to me. These are all acts of injustice that exclude on the basis of power and privilege. Injustice is when people who have power and privilege use that power and privilege to create pain in the lives of those who don't. And God has called us To justice, I've never seen it better put in the scriptures than in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It says this, God has shown you, human beings, people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Those three things, that's what God wants from us. That's what's good to God. That's what God likes. That we would, number one, do justice, act justly. The word for justice in Hebrew is the word mishpat. And in in our English language, when we hear the word justice, we think of lawyers and courtrooms and judges and legislation and fighting for causes and and, um, um, uh, class action lawsuits, fighting for our rights. That's justice in 21st century North America. That's, That's different than what the word mishpat means. The word mishpat means It it talks about everything that's involved, one commentator says, in creating an ordered, wholesome, thriving community where everybody has a place and where everybody can make a contribution. Another scholar says it this way, Mishpat is the restoration of shalom, a restoration of peace, which is a just and harmonious society that is rooted in love. That's what justice is. It is leveraging the power and the privilege that God has given to us in order to create an ordered, wholesome, thriving community where everybody has a place and where uh, everybody can make a contribution. In fact, that's what the whole Jewish law, the first five books of the Jewish Bible, that's what they're all about. The law of Moses. The the rabbis identified 613 laws in the law of Moses. And at times those laws are actually called the mishpatim. Im in Hebrew is plural. The mishpats. These are the rules of justice. These are the rules that are to govern in the ancient Near East what what a just society looks like. So there are rules about what happens when my bull gores your cow or There are rules about what happens if somebody falls off my roof or if a neighbor's dog falls into a pit. Or There are rules about what happens when somebody moves the boundary stones between our properties. There are just rules about how to create a society that is fair and harmonious and rooted in love. And this is important, the connection between love and justice. See, Jesus was asked once about the law of Moses. Somebody came up to him and said, listen, summarize the thing for me. Prioritize for me. Let me know, what does this life of justice look like? Put it in a nutshell for me. And in Matthew chapter 22, 
uh, Jesus says this. So Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two, these two commandments. Jesus says that's the whole deal. That's the whole deal about justice. That in order to create this just and harmonious society, you have to root it in love, the love for God, the passionate love for the God of the Bible who reveals himself in Jesus that manifests itself in a passionate love for everybody else. The passionate desire to see everybody find their place and be able to make their contribution. Uh, Micah says that we are to act justly. We're to love mercy. That word mercy in Hebrew is the word hesed. It's one of the most important words in the Hebrew Bible. 246 times it shows up. It's nearly impossible to translate, but it's very, very easy to understand. What hesed means, hesed basically means I commit myself to behaving as though I am responsible for the health, safety, wholeness, and happiness of everyone within my circle of care. That's what hesed means. It always communicates the idea of a committed relationship. One dictionary says that is rooted in closeness, the idea of intimacy, that is rooted in loyalty, the idea of faithfulness, and the idea of solidarity, which is the idea of togetherness. That we're going to live together in community, in a community of intimacy, faithfulness, and solidarity, where we're going to stand together, and I am going to use my power and privilege to personally take responsibility for the health, safety, wholeness, and happiness of everyone within my circle. That's Hesed. Now, who's in my circle? That was a debate that raged uh, in Jesus' day. Who is my neighbor? Is it just my family? Is it the people who literally live beside me? Is it uh, people that I'm related to? Is it people in my village? Is it you know, who is it all Jews? Who is my name? Who am I responsible for their well-being? And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says, you want to be like God. God uses the power that he has over everything that happens in the universe in order to indiscriminately love and bless both people who love him and people who hate him. God is committed to giving everyone equal opportunity to flourish as a human being. And of course, that raises all sorts of questions about the discrepancy between the first world and the developing world or the majority world and why bad things happen to good and all sorts of questions we don't have time to deal with today. But God's fundamental commitment in Scripture is to take personal responsibility for the health, safety, wholeness, and happiness of everybody regardless of their attitude towards him. And he loves it. He loves it. It says that God loves the foreigner. That word love, it says God loves the foreigner, that we are to love mercy. That word is the Hebrew word haba. It means to breathe heavily, to get all excited. And some of you just went there in your mind, keep it to yourself. Um, 
But it's to get passionate about something, to get excited, to get amped up, to be energized. That this is the passion of God's life, is to commit himself to protecting and providing for the vulnerable and the weak, to fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. That's what God gets passionate about, the Bible says. We're to act justly, love mercy, thirdly, walk humbly with God. That word walk in Hebrew, halak. The word walk is an ethical term. It's about how you live. It's the ethics of your lifestyle. In the ancient Near East, when uh, a king would give a gift to uh, someone who lived under their rule, you know, give a piece of land or a title or a commission or something, whenever the king gave a gift, the king uh, would assign a role that went with the gift. So if he gave you a piece of land to farm, then guess what? Your responsibility was that X percentage of the stuff that you grow on your farm goes back to the king. You have a role to play that is attached to the gift that you were given. And in the Akkadian language, the role that you were to play was called your ilku. Halak ilku. It meant to walk. That was your walk. And somebody in Acadia who had faithfully fulfilled the duty that went along with the gifts that they were given, of them it was said, Alkanu Ilka, that they had walked the walk. And that's the point that Micah is saying. He said, if you want to walk the walk with God, if you want to participate in what God is doing, If you want to live faithfully and consistently with loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving everybody else as much as you love yourself, you will act justly and love mercy. That's what it means to walk the walk. That if you want to walk with God, Bono said it once, that God is with the poor and we are with God when we are with them. And I think that's exactly what Mike is saying. If you want to walk with God, you have to walk where God walks. And the place where God walks is among the weak and the vulnerable and the marginalized, those who have been pushed off to the side, those who are at risk, those who can't fight for themselves. That's where God walks. And God walks among them in order to use his power and privilege to protect and to provide, to take personal responsibility for their health and safety and wholeness and happiness, to try and build a community in which every person has a place and is able to fulfill their role. And God has given each one of us gifts and abilities and talents. He's given each one of us, in some ways, some measure of power and privilege. And God is inviting us to walk the walk which is to walk with him in acting justly and loving mercy. That's what it means to walk humbly with God. In November of this last year, a bunch of ISIS sympathizers in Paris killed, I think it was 122 people. And instantaneously, Mustafa knew, as Muslims did around the world, that they were now vulnerable guilty by association that they were at risk of being attacked simply for being Muslims out of revenge for what ISIS sympathizers had done halfway around the world. The following Saturday, Mustafa organized an event on Geneva Street where a bunch of people from the mosque community stood on the sidewalk on Geneva holding signs that said, ISIS is not Islam. The mosque is open. You're welcome here. Um, Basically, all sorts of signs that communicated, we love you, we're here, we're for you, not against you. Um, 
There's a whole write-up in the standard about it. And when I read the write-up in the standard, because I love Mustafa, I posted it on my Facebook wall. And when I did, I got this message from a Southridge member. Said, I just read your post about the imam in our city. To cut a long story short, I have harbored fear-based hatred towards Muslims. God has been journeying me through this in a deep and profound way. Just this week, I asked God for an act of love that I could do for the Muslim community. And I wondered what you would think about me joining them this Saturday as they hold their signs. How would you recommend that I go about this? Now, it didn't work out for that person to be able to go and stand with the Muslims. But this is the spirit of what it means to act justly and to love mercy to say I am going to go in closeness and faithfulness stand in solidarity with you to use my power and privilege as a white Niagara resident to stand with you to take personal responsibility for your health and your safety and your wholeness and your happiness in our community to be a part of you so that there is no longer us and them there's just us. What would it look like for all of us to live with those eyes? To do what this person did and to read the news as, you know, there's a thing in your program today, a challenge for this week, to read the news and watch the news through the perspective of the marginalized, vulnerable, or oppressed party or group. When you see a, a black protester being beaten up at a Trump rally, don't say, oh, that's horrible. Actually, ask yourself, what would it be like to be that woman? And then ask yourself, in what way can I stand in solidarity with the weak and the vulnerable and poor? How can I love God and my, love my neighbor by doing what God loves? Just acting justly and loving mercy, walking the walk with our God. Let's pray together. Father, we're here. We're here because we want to learn to love the way you love. We're here because we want you to fill us with your love so that it spills out of our lives and not just into the lives of the relationships we have here, but into the lives that we have, the relationships we have all over the place, even into relationships that don't yet exist. Would you teach us to live the gospel of us that says that we are, in the love of God, going to stand together because of what you have done in, for, and through us in the person of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.